Greetings, listeners. Welcome to the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. This is the podcast where we dive into all the questions about transitioning into your professional career and all those difficult unspoken topics. My name is Dr. Maria Scott, and I'm a PR professional and a professor. Joining me is Ashley Osmecki, a senior PR major who's about to step into the real world. Welcome to the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. My name is Dr. Maria Scott. I am your host. With me, as always, is Ashley Osmecki, my co-host. And today we're going to be talking to you about professionalism and communication. So I'm going to start it off by asking a question. Do you believe that first impressions really matter or make much of a difference? Yeah, I think that first impressions are really important. I think that I think that somebody can change their mind about you, but I think that that first impression is ultimately what's going to stick. And you don't really want to have somebody need to change their mind about you, right? Right. It's almost like you're starting from a deficit then. Uh, and that's probably not the best place to be. So I asked you this question because I think the world we're currently living in is a world where people tend to meet digitally almost at first. And you may meet someone the first time via Zoom or on a Teams, or you may have to meet them the first time in an email before that person ever gets to see Ashley face to face and sit across from you and have an interaction with you that's more of an in-person situation. Right. Yeah. I, I always get nervous when I'm e-meeting people too, because I'm a pretty bubbly and colorful person and I want that to be portrayed over the email, but without sounding a little too crazy over email. I want to keep it professional. I think that that absolutely makes sense. In addition, I think that what part of the culture that's shifted a little prior to COVID, prior to anything else happening, there used to be this stigma that the minute your camera turned on, people almost got nervous. Wow, people are looking at me. How closely can they see me? Are they examining if my hair looks good? Do you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. And I think that we're a little past that now. I think people are very used to being on the camera that's attached to the computer or even having a little bit of a digital start to a relationship. So I think that there's a little bit less nerves, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be still the same level of professionalism. And that's really what I want to get to today. So I'm going to ask you another question. What percentage of the time do you write an email or start your interaction with a greeting? I'd say probably close to 100% of the time. I, I will always have a greeting. Even if it's just hi, you know, even like throughout the email chain, I'll, just, I'll say, hi, Dr. Scott, and continue on with the conversation. I think the sign-off might be a little bit less than the greeting, but I do have a signature on my email, so sometimes I feel like that is enough. I don't know. What do you think? Does your signature say, warm regards, since you like that statement so much? Does your signature have something at the bottom that sort of has a closing to it, or no, it's just your name and your college and stuff like that? No, my signature is like just my name, she, okay. her. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back and I'll answer your question sort of in a larger statement. So inherently where email was created, it was supposed to be electronic mail. 
someone having to say, oh, I'll put that in the mail to you or I'll send you that. And it was a, a way to, to keep a documentation of that interaction as opposed to a phone call. A phone call that's not documented, right? But if you send a letter, you send mail, it's documented then. So really what electronic mail was supposed to do was just quicken that process. It wasn't supposed to be super casual. A lot of people believe you can start an email with, hey. <laughs> and if I was to have a pet peeve that I could pinpoint, I think that that would be one of my five. And I will be honest, even if you're doing it to a good friend of yours, I still don't know that that sends the right message. Why can't you not just say what you said before? Hi, Basha. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Joe. Like, why is that not enough? Why does the hey have to come in? Welcome, a greeting, some sort of intro is super important. Mm -hmm. The body of your email definitely should be succinct. The whole point of this is still that you're trying to make this quicker, faster, easier. It just doesn't mean casual and sloppy. Like those are not the same. The right, I think the balance is really important. I, when I get emails that are more than 100 words, the anger that I get, it's like, unless it's something really important and there's a lot of information, but if just one of my colleagues is sending me an essay, like TLDR, too long, didn't read every time. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think you're the only person. I mean, I think that for most Gen Z, for most millennials, that's going to be the answer. It's, you're right, it's too long. I didn't read it. So I think that you need to ask yourself before you ever start writing an email, what content do I have to put in there? How can I make this as succinct as possible? So I'll give you a really good example really quickly. I just sent an email out to some people where I had to give them a whole bunch of information. Mm -hmm. All the information was important, but it was definitely going to go over that kind of hundred word mark that you're talking about. And every one of the people on this email had an operational component. And that's the first question you should ask yourself. Does everyone that I'm sending this email to have something that is an operational component that they are going to then have to read this and then act upon it. So I was sending this to four different humans. Mm -hmm. Every one of them had an operational component. And then the next question you may be asking yourself is, Dr. Scott, why didn't you send four separate emails? And my answer back to you is because they kind of needed to know what each other were doing. So I was saving them time then future having to have a conversation amongst themselves saying, oh, are you doing this? I'm doing this. No, I'll take that on. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to just say for conciseness, we're going to put all of you in the same thing, but this is going to be a little longer. So the, the way I handled it was I did my greeting. Hello. You could do hello team if you didn't want to list out all their names, but I went ahead and was polite and listed out everyone's names. I usually start mine with the words greetings because I like the word greetings. So mine said greetings, had all their names, had a brief introduction that said, I'm super excited to announce this. Here's my one piece of excitement news. And then it said, in order to make good use of your time and mine and to be clear and concise, I wrote the rest of the email in bullet form with the operational component, starting it for each person. And then it would say, information below, colon. And then I had literally bullets where it would have said, Ashley, dash, can you please do this? Basha, dash, can you please do this? And so if you understand kind of what I did, yes, it was gonna exceed your 100 words, but to be fair for you, Ashley, you can probably skim what went to Basha, what went to Joe, what went to Susie, whatever the other people, make sure you knew what you were responsible for, but also see that you don't then have to handle those things the other people are doing. 
I think that that's a really good way to use emails. I'm not saying you have to make everyone bullets, but definitely if you start by asking yourself, does everyone who's getting this have an operational component? That really helps. And then at the end, I said, thank you so much for your time. I know this was long. I really appreciate it. But this is also very exciting news. I'm super happy. Can't wait to hear from you all. And that was my closing. Yeah, I think that like the structure of a long email is really important too. I mean, we consume so much content and we're constantly moving and there's so our inboxes are full 100% of the time, right? So when we get these long emails, I think it is really important to have that structure so the readability is there and the information gets to you quick and easy without any hullabaloo. Right, in a nice digestible format so that you can get it. And it also doesn't stress you out. I think that when you talked about that inbox and then also the consuming so much information, you don't want to be so bombarded by digital like info all the time that you just feel stressed out. Oh my gosh, my inbox now has a thousand emails. I am never going to overcome this hump and we don't want to do that. So my next question for you has to do with texting. And I actually think you have a question for me because texting is something that happens in the workplace pretty often. Yeah, I wanted to know, in your opinion, on a scale of 1 to 10, how annoying is it to text someone like, hey, look out for this email, or hey, I just emailed you this, can you look at it and respond, or something along those lines? A scale of 1 to 10. Okay, so I, I honestly think it's kind of person by person. You'd have to really judge that. I think most people are going to think it's closer, so if 10 is wildly annoying and one is not not super frustrating i think most people are going to think it's somewhere in the six to eight range they're going to think it's redundant they're mm-hmm. going to think well you already sent me the email you can't just be patient and wait for a reply and i also think if you're habitual at doing it if every time you send an email you follow it up with a text then that's where it's probably escalates to like a nine or ten on the annoying scale I would say up front, you can set a policy in place that might be super helpful for you. So if you happen to interact with someone who is slower at emailing you back or prioritizes their emails and you already know that you're low on the priority list and you say to the person, there is the occasion where my emails need time sensitivity or I really need for you to get to these quicker. If I text you, can that make you just move me up your priority scale? Or if I text you, does that help you know that I have something that's like TikTok sitting there pending? And I think then it moves down below a five into like the three, four level Mm -hmm. on annoying. It's a little annoying, but it's useful for the person too, so that you're not sitting there tapping your foot waiting for them. I'm glad that you said the time sensitive part, because I think that a lot of what we do in PR, there are those time sensitive things like things just come up or like crisis might happen and we need answers ASAP. So I'm glad that you said that and that does kind of take down the annoyance when you send that text. Right. And a lot of organizations use things like Slack and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you're not necessarily texting someone, you're putting it in maybe a group interaction. And then that whole group can say, oh, I can handle this. This person might not be able to forward the email to me. Let me take a look at it. And and then it's a little bit more collaborative in a group. Yeah, I think that that's really helpful. So I think the lesson there is don't send that text message. Just wait for the email. <laughs> or give it a timeline in your head. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you say I've sent this email and it was at 10 a.m. and I kind of need an answer by 10 a.m. the next day, then I think it's fair if you know that person has a meeting that was going to be from, say, 
four to six mm -hmm. and they're stuck in that meeting from four to six you can send them a text at seven six thirty seven to say i know you were in this meeting i know you were probably prepping for that before i just want to make sure this doesn't get lost in the shuffle because i have to take action on it by 10 a.m tomorrow and if you can just take a few seconds and read it i would really appreciate it yeah that's helpful i do have another question um same format on a scale of one to ten how annoying is it to answer a text with a phone call or reverse? Have a missed call and have that answered with a text, which is one of my biggest pet peeves. Again, I really think it's going to be dependent on the person. I think there's some people who definitely have it on their pet peeve scale. It's actually not on my pet peeve scale. So, so say, for example, you're handling something and it's a crisis for a client. And that's a heated situation. It's things where time is super sensitive. You need answers and you text the person and the person calls you back. Maybe the reason they're calling you back is because they know that the answer that you need is time sensitive or the times I probably am the person who does that is because the answer is complicated and I actually mm -hmm. will start to write the text. So you'll see the bubbles and you'll see me start to phrase something. And then in my mind, I can't write it really effectively or I'm worried that something's going to get lost in translation, then I'll call the person. And I think that that's usually the instances when I personally do it. I don't know that that applies to everyone. I actually have someone who I've worked with the past several years who is a reluctant texter. So okay. if that's a category, they're in a little bit of an older person and they're a reluctant texter for 80% of content which is a high percentage. So I can guarantee that if I know the person's not in a meeting or not doing something conflicting, I can count the seconds and say, texted 10, nine, eight. And by the time I get to one, the person will have called me back every time. To be fair, it was very, very irritating for the first six months that I worked with them. But now that I understand it, it's kind of like a habitual thing and I know it's gonna happen. The other thing that I would say is the reverse, where you call someone and they answer you back with the text. If that text isn't, sorry, I'm doing something, I can't answer your call right now, I think that's very acceptable. And at right, least it's acknowledging you, yeah. you called me, I see that you exist in my world, I'm sorry I couldn't do this. I think if the person never calls you back, then I'm going to say that they're a reluctant caller. Yeah, I think I can recall one instance where I was dealing with something, it was time sensitive, and I texted, can I call you? And then I just called, it was a couple minutes, and they just replied, they didn't answer my call, and then just texted like, hey, like, no, I'm, I'm busy, like, sorry, I'm just, I was like, can you please call me? I called you. <laughs> it just drives me crazy so we can have this conversation but maybe that's just me I know a lot of like younger people are reluctant callers I know that like the cold call is huge on people's no-no lists but I'm a big fan of the phone call I like to just pick up a pick up and talk to someone I mean sometimes the voice notes a lot of people send those these days too which is like mini phone call I don't know. How do you feel about that? Can we do that in professional settings, the voice notes? Absolutely. I think, honestly, I think you can do all of this in a professional setting. What I would say about the voice notes is I think I've received some that kind of were laughably funny to me. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say you need to be careful how you're using voice notes. I would just say that you know you personally have a pattern and you have a pattern to how you communicate. So does everyone else. 
And I think my biggest piece of advice with this one is you need to be honest about how you communicate and then honest with the people who you work with on a daily basis to say, I see that you seem to be this kind of a communicator or have this pattern to your communication. Can we find a system that meets in the middle? Because I don't want my phone calls to you to be super, super aggravating on your part. And I don't want your text replies to my phone calls to be aggravating to me. Where is the middle ground? You can send, I'll send you voice memos, you know, voice notes, and maybe that's less irritating to you. And then you can reply to the text and occasionally reply with a voice memo as well if it's something more complicated. Yeah, and I think that that meeting in the middle can sometimes happen naturally. Like that colleague that I mentioned before who answered my phone call with a text, they and I have kind of adapted and learned. We work very closely together, so we kind of learn. I know that they don't like the phone call as much. They know I do like the phone call, so we do have that kind of middle without even having to have that conversation. But you know that happens when you just work so closely with someone over extended amount of times, which is nice. I do want to mention one more thing about texting, especially your workmates. Be really careful that you understand the difference between very social texting with your buddies and your friends and texting someone who you work with. And usually where I kind of will tell students to draw the line is to be really careful with things like emojis, things like LOL or slang. And the answer for that is, is uh, there's a couple pieces to it, right? Part of it is you kind of need to know your audience. So usually what I say to students and what I, the general advice that I give is lay off, be very word-based, be very mature in the phrases that you're sending them and be very careful that it's not the same stuff you would text your buddy who you've mm -hmm. known for years and is your own age and stuff like that. And then move into the where if the person writes you back and said, yeah, that was that was what I thought too, LOL. And then they do it the first time. If we go back to all these other episodes, you're kind of always being reviewed. You're always being looked at. You're always having someone kind of examining what you're doing and how you work. You just never want to be the person who's like always super casual or where they just don't take you seriously. And it's because of something that's kind of a silly thing to not take you seriously. And you didn't even think about it that way. But here, that's that person's perception. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a good point to kind of going back to the first impressions, but just always making sure you're presenting yourself in a way where you're not impeding any sort of impressions that a person might have. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that LOL thing because I was racking my brain like I can't imagine ever needing to say or wanting to say lol to my boss but when you're saying something like oh yeah I thought I thought the same thing lol yeah I would honestly prefer that where you're like I can't think of any situation where I would say that as opposed to probably for the last decade of teaching smartphones have been out as emojis have become more popular as text lingo has become more popular more of my students are inclined to send that they'll even send it to me and my answer is always used kind of a mimicry system. So if that what that person sends to you doesn't include those things, why are you sending it back to me? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So if you're looking at how I'm communicating with you, that's kind of the mimicry that you could be com yeah. should be communicating back to me. So I had a student once who never texted me with any uppercase, any punctuation, punctuation. nothing hate to see it. And it was a joke one day because I said, you know, those buttons do exist on your phone. And I was like, it is something. And I said, do you text your intern supervisor this way or your boss or other people? And the student said, yes, everyone, including my parents. And in my head, I was like, okay, why aren't your parents fixing this? But 
I said, well, can I see, do you mind if I see how your internship supervisor, whoever's there is texting you? And they said, sure. And they said, it looks just like yours. And I was like, okay, so that person probably thinks the same of you that I do, which is that you don't know that these buttons exist. I don't know that that's the impression you wanted to give. Yeah. And so I think that that's just where you need to be careful. Yeah. And I'm glad that you touched on emojis too, because I think that emojis can have kind of different meanings in popular culture that just might not translate well. And I think that it's pretty important to be careful with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's wonderfully hysterical stories where people will send things. There's actually memes all the time where someone sends someone an emoji not knowing what it meant. And then there's a completely different actual context behind what that emoji means. And it was nothing to what the person was trying to say. Texting is fraught with Mm -hmm. areas of miscommunication. And you're right. It's better to just not do it than to send something in and have the other person be like, whoa. Yeah, I think that with texting and not just professionally, I think that, you know, don't send, if you have to think twice about the text, just don't send it. Absolutely, wonderful, 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 wonderful. All right, let's talk about your work computers, phones that may be issued to you. Have you ever had a a phone issued to you from your work? No, but it's my dream. I want that so bad because I want (laughs) to be able to have like a little bit of a separation sometimes. But no, I want that. All right. That's interesting. I've never actually heard someone say that it's their dream. So that's, <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So I want to have two phones. I need the separation. So what I will say is that's definitely a hard, it'll be a hard shift for you mm-hmm. because you're so used to being so dependent on one phone, one device. And what I will say is especially for these generations that are born in tech natives, it almost feels like you lose an appendage if your phone doesn't work. If you lose your phone and you don't have it, you literally feel like your arm was cut off. You know, I'm, oh my God, I I feel disoriented. This is very confusing to me. It'll feel a little bit the other direction if you ever get a work phone, because now you feel like I have an extra appendage that I suddenly didn't have before. I have an extra thing to worry about. What I will say is just be very, very careful, as you said, that you want some separation, that you really do use it for that purpose. It also then can give you a little bit of freedom to say, I'm gonna shut my work phone off. So if it's not in time of crisis or it's not where someone would need you, say after 10 p.m., then you can say, I'm gonna put my work phone on silent at 10. I will check it before I go to bed, but I'm not gonna keep it tied to my hip you know, after a certain time. And I think that that gives you then some opportunity to have a little bit of like downtime or time that's a little bit of a relief. The biggest thing that I also think you need to know is that anytime your office or your workplace gives you a computer or a phone, they own that content and it's always subject to the law. Have you ever had to think about a time where you were sending maybe an email to a coworker or something that where you were like, oh, what if someone else reads this? How is this gonna be interpreted? Should I be worried? I almost always think that, like whenever I send an email or a, or a Teams message, I always think, who else might see this text, email, communication? It's always on the back of my mind. I don't know that everyone does. I think you're probably more attuned to the dangers that might happen than most people are. I think most people wing stuff out and they hear of it shipping. And then they have the relief of, oh, that's out, and never think about it again, and never think about the fact that perhaps someone who just got that misread something, and really they were just being succinct and being clipped. And clipped and upset are two completely different things, but sometimes they can come across on paper or on email very much the same. 
one is short and brief and to the point, and the other one is short and brief and to the point, but almost because you're mad. And sometimes that can be a misinterpretation. I also think that you have to be careful with the workplace where people were using internal messaging systems or things like Slack. They would come up with their own codes for words. The problem is then when that became like a legal case. So let's say, for example, that instance where those two people were, I don't know, running off to a storage closet somewhere. Maybe one of the two people comes back and says, actually, this was harassment. I felt like I was being harassed or I felt like I was assaulted or there's another legal implication there. Now, all those slacks, all that discussion, all those text messages, whatever it was, all becomes actual court legal documents. And that's where it can get really scary. Yeah, that's like a scary thing to think about, but it's the reality. If we think about it, let's think about the things that could possibly happen. Like, do you have an idea of like what kind of cases, what could possibly come up from say a work email or a work text or any of those? So I- For like legal cases? Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind is like office relationships gone poorly. Right. Yeah. It can end with a lot of things that are really scary and really serious crimes. And I think that that's definitely have to be really careful before you ever start to go down that road, right? Because when you think about the fact that the text you're sending to the person on the office phone, all of that's saved on the office's servers somewhere. So all of that can be pulled up. And that's all part of if someone then later was to say, oh no, that never happened, I never said that. Well, actually we have this documentation that says that you did. So yeah, I think that's part of it. I think you have to be careful about things like libel and slander. I think that the category that these things fall under, the idea of defamation, You have to be proving that someone wants to be malicious when they're doing it. But a lot of times these inner office pieces is where they do prove that malice because it will start with the phrase of, we just don't like Bonnie. She's created a lot of problems for us. And then it's a month later where then you can go and find that this, you know, defamation like little project that they've started to come up with where it's like rumors going around or like whatever the case is. But that malice part is usually what gets most people in defamation. They can see the outcomes. They can see the actual slander or the libel or whatever that's happening. But it's really hard for people to say, well, we didn't mean to do it maliciously. We were just having fun. Like we never meant it to cause the person harm. There was no really, no harm, no foul kind of a thing. But when you can show that, that becomes something very different. So definitely those are pieces of it. Um, I know that there's also been really interesting cases and case studies where there's also been trade secrets. Yeah, I didn't think about the secrets thing because I know that probably in a lot of PR, but in a lot of other um, industries that there's, you know, things that we're not letting the public know yet. And like, you know, we're making this event and we have this special speaker, but you know, don't tell anyone yet. Like it's not for sure. And kind of leaking those out in a text message to the wrong person could be really dangerous. Absolutely. We don't address social media on this particular episode and we'll have to do an entirely different episode about just how to use social media in a professional setting. But I think that that's also an an interesting piece to it because a lot of times with modern companies, when you go to work there, you'll actually sign a communication document and it's a communication agreement between you and the company and it's part of your contract. And in that communication agreement, it will have rules about social media, which again, we'll cover on a future episode, but it will also have these rules that we just talked about. We're issuing you a computer, Ashley. On that computer, we're expecting you to do company business. 
that also means everything you put on that company computer, we should be able to have access to and we can see. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a cell phone. We're sending that, are you storing photos on that company's cell phone? What on earth are those photos of? And your answer better be business related stuff because if it's anything else, like that's just, you're in a terrible situation. So I think that those are the things you wanna be really careful about, but that communication agreement or that piece of your overall contract will really outline. And I, I worry sometimes that people maybe don't read that as carefully as they should. And they really should spend more time making sure they understand what that says. Yeah, I didn't really know about this communication agreement, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, to kind of be legally bound to not be telling those secrets and whatnot. So I think to finish up our professional communication episode here, my key pieces of advice would be try to keep it professional, try to keep it succinct, try to think about things and how they're going to be interpreted before you send them. And really just be more on the Ashley cautious tiptoe side as opposed to the willy nilly, I'm going to send stuff out and hope it's okay or not think things through or I'm tired and I don't want to put more time and effort into this side. Yes. And as much as it pains me to not leave a funny sign off to my friend's emails, best stick to warm regards. What would your funny conclusion closing be? Um, I mean, you can do any kind of funny ones. Like, I like Live, Love, Love. Ashley Elzmecki, she, her. That's a good one. Um, actually, recently I did send an email that was just, ah, comma, Ashley Elzmecki, she, her. <laughs> but that was just a small group of my close my close workmates. But Yeah, and know. I think, I mean, I think that the reality is there's going to be things in within a work environment or even within, say, you have a social group and your social group is part of, say, a public relations society group. And you're like, oh... I met these different people, we're all at the same level, we're all struggling with starting our career, we're all, we all have these things in common. That doesn't mean one of those people won't be your boss one day or one of those people won't help you get hired. So you wanna be really careful that you're not doing things that are super unprofessional in front of them or super gonna get you in trouble. But I think if you all have an internal joke, you go to a bar and the person sitting next to you, I know I was sitting at a restaurant with one of my really good friends and the person sitting next to us said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. And the word yeah, yeah was literally said 19 times in less than seven minutes. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. And as soon as the person left, the server came up to us, and we were both just trying to hold it in so bad that the person I was sitting with looks at the server and said, if you never hear yeah, yeah again, is that going to be too soon? And the server just starts dying laughing and said, I've never heard it so much in my life. That person was here for two hours with two different sets of people so for probably the next two months that colleague of mine every email would send off yeah yeah see you soon and it just made me laugh every time because we were the only two people who got it not that if anyone else read that they would have ever thought it was unprofessional they wouldn't have understood it and they would have thought it was strange and odd but at least it wasn't unprofessional so i think that things like that are fine especially if it brings some levity to a situation and it helps you all bond over things Mm -hmm. i just think where you would need to be careful is let's say for example you wanted to do a signature that said need a bigger glass of wine every day (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I don't, that would worry me a little because even if it was an inside joke, that can be misconstrued to something else that maybe someone else would start to worry about. And I think that that's where you just need to be careful. I like that because I do like to be silly, but staying professional at the same time. I think you can be silly within the confines of being fun and lighthearted and jovial without being silly, inappropriate and 
scary, goofy, or something like that. Yeah. Good, because that's my goal. Uh, no, you have two goals now. You have the one yes. to get the work phone and to then be have bring levity to the yeah, situation. Yeah, be my authentic self with my, my silly sign-offs. All right. Well, signing off of this episode, thank you for joining us for and chatting with us about professional communication. We look forward to having you join us next week. Yes. Thank you. Warm regards. Thanks for joining us for the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. Click in our description and visit the website to see our upcoming topics so you can submit your unspoken questions. Connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Postgrad Cheat Sheet.